Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by who else? BetOnline.ag. Look, it is July right now. The Stanley Cup Finals, it's almost over. The NBA Finals will probably wrap up sometime in 2024, but that means you have plenty of time to go to BetOnline to get all the action right now because they got prop bets, futures, odds, news, and information, and all your online sports betting needs. So what are you waiting for? Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. Very excited to bring back a guest that we haven't talked to in a little while, but we're going to talk a little bit about the head and the heart today with WGN Radio's Larry Hawley doing excellent work right now. Um, not just for the WGA Network, but all over his social medias. Larry, um, we're, we're taping this right now on a Tuesday. I want to get that in there where it's Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. The Cubs have won, have lost, excuse me, 10 in a row. I just went to check the score. They're down 7 to nothing right now. We could be looking at an 11-game losing streak. So, Larry, is this 11-game losing streak, is it going to make into your Larry lookbacks uh, coming up in the future? And where are we with the Chicago Cubs right now? Well, it could because I think that is the end of an era. I would be very hard-pressed or really would have to find a reason why they wouldn't try to at least sell and at least try to maybe get one of those, you know, going to be free agent guys off to another team in exchange for some prospects or right now just some starting pitching to get through the year. It is a historic time, and it's, it's a sad time. Some might view it as an inevitable time that it could have happened even if the Cubs were – two games out or maybe two games ahead, you know, maybe if they were even four games ahead that this was going to happen. It just comes a little prematurely. You have last Thursday in Los Angeles, you know, excuse me, uh, about a week and a half ago in Los Angeles on a Thursday, you get a combined no hitter. You're in first place. At that point, they were nine games over 500. I I believe they were 42, 34. I might not have that off a little bit. Tied for first. Yeah, you're, you're right there. You're tied for first, and you're thinking, okay, you know, you have some of the reports coming out that they might go ahead and just hold pat, and hey, these are our guys. We developed them. We're going to take it all the way to the end, and then it just falls apart. Uh, no offense, close losses. Uh, even when they did get starting pitching, they did nothing with it, as you saw, you know, in the Cincinnati series. It, a really tough, really tough stretch here, and it, it brings most likely at least a partial end. Now, I don't know, maybe they don't get rid of all the guys, but certainly you're going to see the changing of an era and, and most likely the ending of at least this particular chapter of the era. And it comes during this stretch as of right now, where, as you said before, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Cubs down 7 nothing. you never know, but you're looking at 11 straight losses, which would be, you know, in this century. Uh, they've only had one other that was longer. That was a 12-gamer that they had in 2012. Theo's first year, the first year they did the rebuild, and now you've, well, sadly, kind of come full circle. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the pod, Larry, because I, I need, you know, I was talking about the heart and the head, and I've been feeling with my heart a lot, and I need you to give me some of, you know, that perspective, that professional perspective of what we're going through, because, man, it is just, it's just sad, right? And it makes me think about, we always talk about, well, could have Michael and the Bulls won that eighth title and you know what I mean? Sometimes these things just kind of have to end and they end poorly. We kind of look at the Blackhawks situation a little bit. doesn't seem to be careening over the cliff, even though they haven't made the playoffs the same way that this is happening to this Cubs team right now. A lot of Cubs fans this season, 
I think that for them, for some reason, this 11-game losing streak has been validation, which has been very strange for me about how we need to sell, this team is no good, we need to get rid of everyone. I was a bit on the other side of that where I thought some of this championship medal could maybe help them compete, and I still thought that they were maybe a mid-80s, maybe even high-80s win baseball team this year. Not quite going in that direction. My question for you is this 11-game losing streak certainly, certainly does clear a path, right, and gets everyone on the same page if they're going to start selling. But is this kind of a worst-case scenario, just a little bit where – you know, who, whose value is high right now on this Cubs team besides Craig Kimbrell in terms of the trade market in your eyes? Well, I think Chris Bryant is still there. You know, and he may not, you know, he's still as versatile and, you know, talented of a player as there is in Major League Baseball. I think Javier Baez is one of the more electric players in the game, also very talented. There's a lot of upside to these guys. Is this the worst case scenario? You could argue it's the best case scenario. You don't have to be two games behind or two games up, you you don't have to wonder, boy, maybe if we keep these guys together, maybe they can have a special run. Maybe they can find it in the playoffs. This takes care of it in some ways because now you know, you know you're, you're eight and a half back at the very moment, at this very moment of our taping, they're eight and a half back in the division. They're seven behind in the wild card. Those deficits have been made up before, but if you look at the club right now, you begin to wonder, did the bullpen max out? You know, was that no hitter? Was that kind of the, the top point for them? Uh, are the Cubs going to have any starters left? You know, we've, we, we, we've touched a little bit on Jake Arrieta. I, you know, what is he going to make it to the end? You know, Hendricks is pitching well and Davies has been better, but you wonder, you know, is, is Trevor Williams going to end up being able to come back full circle? Is Alzali ready to take on that full-time starter role full-time? You know, we'll see if he's able to do that. There are a lot of questions. I don't know if this is the worst case scenario. Probably to me, it leans a little bit more toward the best because at least you have you have that line of demarcation. You know now that you would really need a tremendous increase in play from this group that you really don't know if is going to be there. You know, I remember saying even back about a month ago to the Cubs of the starting pitching to compete for a World Series championship, not make the playoffs, compete for a World Series championship. The answer was no, and Arietta was at least at times okay. And obviously that that hasn't happened. And I at this point, maybe it's the best case scenario because at least you'll get some return. You will get some of these players who you invested in will be able to bring back some maybe major league talent, but you're probably looking at a team that's going to stack the minor league system after years and years of rightfully selling to try to win now, which the Cubs were able to do in 2016 with a championship and LCS appearances in 15. And then again, in 2017, 2018 was, could have been a world series team. Fates didn't work out for them. It's in some ways in my mind, it could even be like maybe lean toward a best case scenario. Cause at least you have conclusion. And I would have said the same thing if they were up seven or eight games. Okay, we have our group. Now we know. Now we know we have a group that can win a World Series championship. Let's move forward with them and we ride and that's it. We, we do that. But I think that this, the best case scenario was to be able to have resolution on one side or the other. And unfortunately for the Cubs, they have resolution on the side of the fact that this team, now I, I, I'll eat my words, but right now you are not looking and saying, wow, they can go win a World Series. You don't have that thinking right now. 
and it allows the front office the opportunity to think about and pursue getting some assets for some of the better players and because all of them are not coming back. I think you're bringing up a great point where worst case scenario might have been they're four and a half out or they're three and a half out at the deadline. They're kind of peaking around 500, but this starting rotation that I think we all walked into the year with that Jed Hoyer constructed, I don't think was a World Series caliber rotation. And some might argue it might not even be a playoff caliber rotation. That thing has kind of really bore itself out. And it almost feels like it almost feels like we're talking about a relationship right now, right? Um, where we've been with these guys, these championship heroes now for five or six years, and it hasn't been going in the right direction, and it's time for a change. But we kind of needed the Cubs to kind of embarrass ourselves in front at like a party or something, right? At a Fourth of July party, and really, and really just make it so like there is no, there's a point of no return. And now we can maybe at least start turning the page. And if you want to be the Cubs fan that says, well, maybe you can trade a Rizzo and bring him back in the winter, you can begin that fantasy a little bit. But we all know now that you know people are going to start leaving town, and at least we can kind of begin that process. You can, I think you can do that. Or like I said, again, looking at, I, I, there had to be resolution one way or the other. Hey, Cubs are seven, eight games up in the division. Super. Then you go for it. The Cubs are now eight and a half back in the division. Now you know that you go ahead and sell. The, again, the best case scenario was having a line in the sand where it was very obvious what you're going to do. And the Cubs have it. So in some ways, unfortunately, on the very unfortunate end, at least in my opinion, because I think you do still try to compete, you still do try to make the playoffs. This is a Cub franchise that had not experienced a lot of success for many, many years, took a long time to rebuild, built and grew a lot of these players. So the best case scenario was they would be seven or eight. You would find a way that they would overachieve and maybe compete for a championship. But one way or the other, you have a definitive direction and it's set. And I don't think I've always tended to be on the positive side and always try to give hope. But the, but I think at this point, now you look at it and say, do the Cubs have a team that could contend at this point for a world series? And I, I think the answer is pretty definitively. No, um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a huge Cubs fan. I try and watch it from an objective perspective just to see where they are. And then I try and drill in and see where I can kind of mine as much optimism as I possibly can. And we're, I mean, I'm at the, I was at the point where like, you could keep KB, Rizzo and Baez. I mean, this whole, like, we can't keep them all situation. I always found to be a bit of a fallacy. And here's what I will say to Cubs fans. And you're bringing it up perfectly is just be careful what you wish for in terms of when everyone said, sell, 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 rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. I was looking it up, Larry. If you go through the decade records of the Chicago Cubs, they haven't been over 500 in any decade since the 1930s until this last decade. And everyone's like, well, of course we won the World Series. We were only four games over 500. We had a 504 winning percentage in that decade. So be careful what you wish for. Rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. Some people say, hey, we can turn this around in two years. But, man, two years can turn into five years very, very quickly in Major League Baseball. So my question for you is, if you could kind of look at one particular area, you know, if we get rid of all these guys, I mean, I think right now we have about maybe 70 million, I think committed to players on the books for next year. Plus Jason Hayward, who knows what we do with that. Maybe we try and buy him out. So in theory, we have anywhere between, I don't know, hundred, 110 million. If we play next year to spend on free agents, what, how would you go about this? If you were in the seat of Jed Hoyer, 
you know, what area would you target? Because I would personally target trying to get Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, Albert Azale as many innings as possible in the second half to try and build a young, cheap starting rotation. Where are you looking? Are you looking at prospects? Are you looking at free agency? You know, wh what area would you attack to try and rebuild this Cubs team as quick as you can? It depends because you're really looking at who does end up staying. You know, just because the Cubs are in sell mode doesn't mean they'll sell everyone. Uh, it's conceivable maybe only one goes, maybe two go. Do all three go? I don't know. A uh, great question to me poised, posed has often been, uh, and it'd be interesting to hear your comment on it. If you can keep one, who do you keep? It's a good question. You don't really know. You know, for me, it comes down to two guys. It's Javi Baez and Chris Bryant. And I think that they're the two. Rizzo's done a wonderful job. He has been a tremendous team leader. I just see a little bit more from Baez, maybe, especially Bryant. I think Bryant is returning to form after a few injury-plagued years. I think he's really got something going for him. And Javier Baez, we've seen, obviously, finalist for the MVP just a few years ago. And, and he certainly has his moments. So it's tough. So part of me looks at who comes back. Let's, what if they bring two back? What if, what if they trade, what if they keep Rizzo and Baez and trade Bryant? What if they keep Rizzo and Bryant and trade Baez? You know, who comes back? For me, it is depth of starting pitch, of depth of pitching in, in the franchise as a whole. The one area that in the Epstein era, the Cubs really didn't develop that well was starting pitching. It was something that you didn't really get a lot of development in the minor leagues through there. They did have trouble developing pitching in a, in a lot of different areas. You know, uh, as we saw, you know, when they had to go get a closer, they've had to go out and get one. They've had to go to sign one. If I can interject really quickly, I think one of the things that we talk about Tom Ricketts and maybe his trust in Jed and Theo over the years spending money, they've made the most mistakes spending money on pitching. The Brandon Morrows, the Tyler Chatwoods of the world, the trade for Wade Davis. And and certainly there, and we talk about Davis being 17. Then you know, then in you know 2018, you kind of hold there, and then of course in, in 2019 you signed Kimbrel, and obviously that investment is now paying off. Unfortunately, and it's it is I shouldn't say unfortunately because I don't think Kimbrel was healthy when he got here in 19 because he was a reliable pitcher, but we saw last year when he got healthy back into rhythm at the end of 20, he was very effective, and then this year he's been lights out. He's the you know, Craig Kimbrell, that's a, you know, now an eight-time All-Star. He's the guy who you you saw in a number of stops be a reliable, reliable closer. You're seeing that now. Hey, but again, the Cubs have not developed that starting pitching. I mean, you, you, you know, Hendricks is there, obviously. He came to from the Rangers. I believe he was Dempster. in double A, maybe. Double A for Dempster. I think he was in double A when the Cubs got him. So he, they did develop and they did, you know, they did use that. But there's I think they need to target pitching depth, especially starting. And I don't know, you can go prospect wise. I don't know if they'd be in a position or would be willing to try to go out there and nab some huge free agents in the pitching market. Maybe they do. Maybe two of those three guys come back. You know, maybe you decide that we're going to build a team around Wilson Contreras and that's what you do. That's where I'm targeting pitching depth in the organization, not even necessarily just the major league level is where you've got a target you might want, you know, I, I think that that for me is where it starts because that's one area, even in the Epstein era, that they really have not been able to really truly fulfill. That's where I'd start. And to answer your question, I think the answer to is the guy who I would keep is Chris Bryant. The only problem is he seems to be the only guy that's had his foot out the door the last two or three seasons, and he's represented by Scott Boris, and the money just isn't going to be there. The reason why it is Chris Bryant is not just because he's having a good year, but the multiple position. I've said it for a long time. He is by far 
the best base runner on the team. I think as he gets a little bit older, I think that will continue to play. We may eventually see Universal DH. That will help out Chris Bryant a whole lot too as well. And there's just a maturity about him at the plate that I particularly like. In regards to Rizzo, there is that maturity at the plate. But again, you get that back. He has his annual back injury once a year. This is the second time in a row, the second time this season that he's had that back issue. You would just like to think that might that number might increase as seasons go on. I'm with you on Javi Baez, and I think we're kind of maybe getting to that middle ground where there was that report that they offered him 180 million, 180 million a couple years ago. He turned it down. I'm sorry, Mr. El Mago, but you are not worth 180 million right now. Maybe if that number comes back a little bit, I think Javi Baez can eventually be. I think he's the third baseman when it's all said and done, three, four years down the road a little bit as that athleticism erodes just a touch. But I definitely think that's a guy that they can come to agreement with. And I'm with you. They just need to come up with a better plan pitching-wise. You know, what is it going to be? I mean, unfortunately, you know, Jake Arrieta, maybe he pitched his last game at Wrigley tonight. We will see. I don't want to speculate too hard, but I do hope that Cubs fans applauded him after being taken out in the second inning, no matter how terrible that he pitched, because he is a World Series hero. Trevor Williams, no thanks. I have some, some inside intel on that, too, or I guess his, his warm-up routine is so intricate and so elongated and so methodical that he can't pitch out of the bullpen. He is a starter or bust kind of guy just in terms of his routine getting ready. I don't think that's the answer. Alec Mills, not the answer. I heard they're stretching on Justin Steele. I want to see that. Keegan Thompson, I want to see that. Braylon Marquez is the name that's been – he's the Felix PA that's been floated out there for years and years about a guy we're still kind of waiting to see what will happen. I know he's had some shoulder problems this year. I'm just curious. I'm really curious. I'm, I'm skeptical because the Cubs haven't really spent money. It's already been money that's already on the books that makes their payroll seem a certain way. They haven't spent a lot the last three years. They're going to maybe have to spend to get out of this mess that they're in unless they are interested in a rebuild that's going to take that four or five years. Yep, and that's where you are right now. And, and I've said before, between Bryant and Baez, it changes by the day. Mm-hmm. I think Javier is... I think he's incredible. He represents what's best about the game. Incredibly athletic, hits for power, has good speed. I, he has athleticism out in the field. He's a tremendously talented player, but so is Bryant. The dream scenario for me is you keep Baez and Bryant. You really try to lock up. For me, I, I thought about a core of Contreras, Bryant, Baez. Those are your three. And you move forward with those three, and those are your guys. Then let's just say, you know, maybe Alcantara becomes, you know, maybe he develops into somebody. Nico Horner, we've seen a lot. You know, he's been mentioned here. That's a guy they drafted recently who has had some really, really great success and kind of came by accident because he was called up in 2019 after the season came to an end. And, and what do we do with Ian Happ? I mean, the Ian Happ situation is getting kind of at that maybe the rubber meets the road a little bit where they might have to make a decision on a player who's only making four million but they had big expectations for this year and that's a guy who you really were expecting he had a pretty good year last year you know there were at least at the beginning of the 2020 season uh he had their only really hit in the playoffs and he had the homer in game one and he just has fallen off and that's that's a shame because that's a guy you really needed if you wanted to succeed this year you had to have him have a really elite year. You had to have him do that. And I don't know how much faith they still have that he can. He's shown the ability that he can. He's been at the major league level now for a while. He's been there, I believe, since 17, if my memory serves me correct. In fact, it is 17. Because I remember I was at a game. He had a game-winning homer. So I do remember that. 
you don't know. I mean, Jason Hayward's batch is, is just not coming around. He, he, I think he provides great leadership. I, I think that he is someone who is solid in the field, but his bat hasn't come around and they are in that contract. They would probably had to trade their way out of it. Idea could be maybe you get a starter on a long deal, you know, and maybe there's a, a swap there and maybe gives Jason a chance to start a new chapter of his career. See if he can, fa- you know, figure it out. And maybe, you know, I've always said sometimes, a move helps you jumpstart things. We saw that with Kyle Schwarber before, unfortunately he got injured, you know, a change of scenery for him really, you know, brought out that power in a record record number. So that's where you kind of are. That's like I said, again, you, you had to have all these things. You had to have Hayward hit maybe the best he has. You had to have Hap keep hitting all these scenarios had to work out. You had to have Arietta pitch like 2017 area. You had to have Trevor Williams pitch like he did a couple of years ago in Pittsburgh, where his record was around 500 at a good ERA. And these are things that have just not really happened. We've seen Bryant play really well. We've seen other things happen. We've seen, uh, obviously, Craig Kimbrell enjoy a fine comeback year. It just hasn't all come together to make that work. The the parts were working for a little bit, but they're just not working now. A tough decision, man. I, it's hard. It's hard because you have seen these players bring – success to Cub fans that was a dream you know most times when the Cubs won in the 80s or the 90s they were one-offs you know then 89 ended up being a one-off 84 was a veteran one-off team 98 a very veteran team 98 reminds me uh, 99 actually reminds me a lot of this year because in 99 the Cubs were in first place to about June the very young White Sox team swept them the kids can play you want to talk about waving the white flag in a year where this another year that kind of comes up with this as I go on to a tangent, the White Sox were three games out in 1997 to the Cleveland Indians, who eventually were one out from the World Series. But they used some of those players to build into their 2000 team, where I believe they were the best team in the American League. They might have even been even better than the Yankees were that year. Unfortunately, they ran into the Seattle team in the playoffs that would win 116 the next year. Uh, the one with A-Rod, managed by Pinella. They were just blown out in the playoffs, similar to how the Cubs were in 08. So all these things kind of come together. It's just sad. It's sad. But you want to see, you wanted to see this Cub group have more. They deserve to have more. They brought incredible success. But unfortunately, with how things went, we talked about the building of pitching. We talked about some guys not working out. Making the decision to trade you Darvish to save money, where you not only take out you Darvish, an all-star pitcher, but also a very reliable catcher in Victor Caratini. He's out of the mix, and the Cubs now are, have been dealing with with issues with a backup catcher for a while. Not that Wilson Contreras always needs it, because he's you know one of the best in the game. That's where you are. It's just a series of fortunate events that make this so difficult to say goodbye to, but necessary because a direction has played itself out here uh, over the last week and a half or so. Yeah, and I think just as Cubs fans, I think we are going to be scratching our head a little bit in the years to come after 2017 of did we do enough or did we make the right decisions? Because you're drilling on something that is so integral right now that you know we can talk about the rotation all we want, but when you talk about guys like Happ and Hayward, the fact that we don't have a, fi- a number five hitter. I mean, we hit Patrick Wisdom last night, I believe in the five hole last night. He came up with runners on in both situations and struck out twice. Wisdom's been a nice surprise. I'm not trying to give him a hard time, but it's about having an established presence there, a professional at bat in those moments, you know, to bring in those types of runs. And we've had to move Wilson all around the order up and down. He can't be that five-hole hitter. And it just kind of starts moving around. And we did have some depth for a while. 
but it just seems like we just our luck kind of ran out. And as you mentioned with the Cubs, what yeah, winning winning record in 01, 03, 04, 07, 08. And then what? You know what I'm saying? So it, it's just tough. It's it's tough for, for a North Sider who's grown up with the Cubs, who everyone's just like ready to move on from this six-year run, which honestly has been the greatest run probably in Chicago Cubs history, unless you want to go to bat with me over like 100 years ago. And it's just kind of hard to move on from these guys. And I do have a bit of skepticism if A, ownership is going to you know open up the wallet to allow the team to go out and make the necessary additions that they need and then also, can management and Jed Hoyer, I do have faith in Jed Hoyer. I think he's a good general manager, but can he make those right choices to get us back on track while we have to wait for some of these prospects that are going to be coming into our system this year? Because Cubs fans, they will not be ready next year to compete these prospects that we're getting this year. So kind of wipe that from your mind. Yeah, and it's a very interesting point you make. You know, Jed Hoyer's running things now. He still can hire a general manager if he wants to go ahead and hand off that duties. So I'm curious who we would get in who are, you know, whether that be he or she would come in there and perhaps offer a different perspective looking at the system. So I think that there's always that variable there that a, a general manager, uh, maybe, I don't know how we would, maybe he keeps that role. Maybe he delegates some of that. It'd be interesting. You know, there could be a new perspective coming to the organization. Um, you know, whoever he or she is, it could be, could be interesting to see what their spin on things will be. But you mentioned the, you know, obviously knowing as, as I do, I love the history of baseball. The only other eras I could really think that they would be as good were, of course, 06, 07, 08, the three straight World Series and the two titles. You could probably say the 30s because they were the best team in the National League at that point, really doing it. They just ran into the Yankees and when they were there and then they ran into Detroit and when they were playing really well. You could say that the DeRocher 60s Cubs from 67, really probably more like 67, through about 72 were really competitive, but again, never made the playoffs. We're really there. They a couple, I think they a couple 91 seasons and always ended up finishing second. And then the nineties, the 1990s, you know, excuse me, the eighties, the nineties, and then the two thousands Cubs were distinct teams. So 84 was different than 89, uh, 98 was much different than 03. And then, you know, really 07, 08, you really had, uh, Aramis, Kerry, and I'll probably miss somebody. Well, Derek really, Lee and Thomas were the were the stalwarts of that there. offensive lineman for that. They game. were, and then of course Lee arrived after 03. So after you know he played a significant role in the Mark Pryor, know. yeah, in the Bartman game, <laughs> he helped him out for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, and he was doing terribly that series, and he did not have a good series, but came up with a hit when he needed it, and that would would be what they would do. So you're looking at ties, and th th this is unique. This is a group that the Cubs have really had, you know, since, you know, dating back to Rizzo 12, you know, that's a long stretch of people to have. And it's weird because maybe I tried to think of the psychology of it. Like what is the psychology of why a Cub fan may want it to end? Maybe because there's just this fear that it's going to end and that you don't, you just want to get it over with. Maybe that's what people are thinking. Maybe that's what the Cub fan thinks. Cause you, You've been you've been skeptical based on what you've seen since September of 2018, when the Cubs offense fell apart and the year I really believe they could have played in the World Series, a year where they won 95 games without Bryant playing a lot, or at least at full strength for the second half of the year, you would know you Darvish, you got nothing out of Tyler Chatwood, you had to go get Cole Hamels, who found himself luckily, and the Cubs still won 95 games. Fate didn't work for them because the Brewers got really hot at the end of the season. Think about it. If the Cubs. Yeah, they blew a five-game five, five lead, right, yeah, from in did, September. 
They blew a five-game lead. If they have home field throughout, maybe they have a shot to beat the Dodgers that year. Maybe mm. they have a shot to beat the Dodgers. Now, I believe that was the Dodger Manny Machado team. But I don't know if they would have had anything for Boston because Boston just had their generational team that year. But I think they could have made the World Series. I think they would have certainly had something for the Dodgers at that point because that team did not even have Darvish. And it's a shame because, again, we talked about Kimbrell on a tangent. You know, Darvish was injured that first year and he had to come back and get himself back healthy the first part of 19. So all you got to see out of that major investment was the end of 19 where he was great. And then the 2020 season where he was superb was, you know, arguably one of the most dominant pitchers of this Cub era outside of probably Arietta, and then outside of this Lester playing, you know, yeah, the Lester yeah. had a couple of great runs there as well. I, I'm I, I was on board with the Darvish deal. The dude was 32. That contract wasn't going to look any better. And look, you traded with the Padres. And if one of those four 19 year old kids can even sniff Fernando Tatis Jr. in about three or four years, I think Cubs fans are going to be really happy. To your point about the psychological aspect, you know, I got to be honest, it feels a little bit more like a sign of the times, right? I think the people, I think people in general love love calling their shot when stuff goes bad. I think as a fan, personally, my perspective is I think it's easier for the fan to say, get rid of everybody with no actual specifics of like what's coming back, what mm -hmm. the plan is specifically moving forward. I think it's easier to say to get rid of everybody than to just, you know, kind of maybe be like, well, this is not only are these guys that have proved it before, but these are also guys that can still help us win in the future. Now I'm not saying that, Javi Baez four years from now is still hitting number three, number four in our lineup. I don't think it needs to be like that, but I still think he can contribute to winning. We're going to get to the White Sox in a second, but the best part about Jose Abreu is that he continues to be a middle-of-the-order hitter later on into his career. I, you know, I don't know if it's always going to be like that. So the psychological thing really kind of makes me think about People like being first to throw the stuff into the bonfire is, is a little bit a little bit of my vibe instead of thinking that, you know, baseball is hard. It's a 162 game season. You're in and you're out. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. Teams change all the time and you just try and, you know, kind of batten down the hatches with your guys. Yeah. And that's where, you you know, there is always a scenario, Joey, where Ricketts opens up the pocketbook and they're all back. I mean, they, there could be this incredible turn like, you know, where hey, you know what? We've decided to invest in the club. We feel like these three players can be tremendous assets for our future. Yes. We're going to bring them and we're going to sign, you know, Contreras and we're going to build around these four players and we're going to open up the, the checkbook to try to go ahead and get some pitching now. That well, they're, they're, This scenario does exist. I completely Even agree with you. I mean, just and if I may really quick, I mean, for all the Cubs fans that want to get rid of everybody, do me a favor and just go look at the list of the free agents coming up this winter and ask yourself the question, do you want to pay $160 million to Carlos Correa? A guy who every other year is either up or down and always, always, always is injured. You think Chris Bryant is injured? Take a, take a look at Carlos Correa. Do you want to pay that money to, you know, um, Corey Seager, a guy who came over a wrist injury, a guy who we're not exactly hundred percent sure is a shortstop or a second baseman moving forward. You know, do you want to pay that money? Or, you know, look at Javi Baez, durable, amazing, electric, all those things that you mentioned. I'm already looking at this stuff, Larry, and I'm already looking at the landscape of the offseason, and I'm trying to find options that are going to be positive for the Cubs that don't already maybe exist in-house when it regards to some of our core players. 
Yeah, and that's where I think there's a scenario. I think there's a lot of things that are still at play. It makes this very interesting. All this Cub losing streak to me does is I think now they'll listen. This isn't going to be a case of where, uh, you know, we're, 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 you know, or, hey, we're eight games up. We're not doing anything. Or, you know, we're four games back. We're three games up. They'll listen now. And maybe a deal will come across where it isn't. I would not put it past, though, for some of these guys to return and it becomes up to Jed or becomes up to this new person who takes in the GM to build a team around them and see where there is. This isn't a doom and gloom thing where, all right, now they're going to go lose 100 games. Now it's over. Now we're going back to there. There can be some, there can be a retool. A retool is not impossible for the situation. But in order for that to happen, they have to decide where they want to go. And they have to see if some of these players they may not sign or get back could bring back value that could help them build the pitching staff. Maybe get yourself an elite young outfielder, maybe an elite young outfielder that you could try to do it. These are all scenarios that are out there. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. All you know right now is you're pretty set in your mind that the Cubs at this moment, at this time, don't look like a team that probably could win the World Series, allowing yourself the option to see what's out there. I think that's where they are right now. Could that change? I don't know, but that's just where I think they are. Maybe it's just a case of where people, are people frustrated? Are, are they frustrated that maybe there aren't more titles, that there weren't more World Series? Mm-hmm. And maybe there is this thought to cast it away. There is this thought to just say, hey, look, let's just, start fresh. Let's keep one or two of these great players and let's start fresh. There is always that thing to start fresh. You know why? Because the Cubs won a world series when they started fresh and it created this era that they're in. It's a, it's a weird time. It's a different thinking in sports where rebuilds are very well thought of and windows for championships tend to close. And I think that there is probably frustration from fans too at the, at the records at ownership because there, the money hasn't been there. When a Bryce Harper, that came up. A Bryce Harper wasn't signed. You know, there wasn't, that didn't happen. And, and that's worked out though. You know what I mean? Bryce Harper is not worth 300 plus million. Manny Machado isn't worth the 280 whatever million that he got. I mean, those deals, at, you know, now look like the right decisions, you know, in the long run. I just tell you, man, for all the Cubs fans out there that enjoyed the last rebuild, I didn't. Um, I did not, and I I find it to be a fallacy in sports that you can't have you can't run on concurrent tracks of competing while also bringing some kids up at the exact same time. I mean, look what the White Sox did in the early '90s. Even look how the White Sox kind of did it in that like that late '90s, early 2000s era that you were talking about. You know, they were still trying to be competitive while bringing up guys like Maglio Donias and Carlos Lee. And just to be very clear, everyone, while, while you're listening to this pod on a Tuesday. Uh, when we're recording this, the Cubs are now down seven to three. So it's not over yet, guys. It's not over yet. I do well, want to go. Phone is now eight three. Oddly enough, Bryce Harper doubled in a run. As funny as that goes. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Moinkbox.com. Moink was founded by an eighth generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary at the time said it was the best bacon he'd ever tasted. And you know what? I tasted it too. And I agree. Question number one for you. Why do just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy. You can help change that with Moinkbox.com. Question two. Why are 97% of chickens served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as the family farm. 
That's why you need moinkbox.com. And finally, the best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You will only find it on the family farm caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need moinkbox.com. So what are you waiting for? Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V right now. And listeners to the show get free bacon for an entire year with every box ordered. I'm going to repeat that free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time. So you have to act now. That's great. Go to moinkbox.com, M-O-I-N-K box.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. That's moinkbox.com slash believe and get free bacon for a year. Now back to the pod. Oh boy. Anyways, let's get on the red line. Let's go down to 35th. Let's talk about the South side. Um, Let's get all the bad stuff out of the way because I want to talk about a bunch of really good stuff and a lot of things that I'm seeing from this White Sox team that I absolutely love, not just for this season, but I think in the years to come. The first one is I just want to get your take on Yasmani Grandal. It's, I, I don't want to say boo-hoo, but it is an acknowledgement that walking into spring training, every single position player on the White Sox I think has been on the injured list now except for Jose Obreu who was dealt with a multitude of other little nicks and scrapes and weird bangs and bruises and running into Hunter Dozier and so on and so forth. Just your take on losing Yasmani Grandal for the next four to six weeks with a tear in his left knee. Well, it, it's tough because you, you know now you're looking at Zach Collins, you're looking at Savala, and they're going to have to come in there and take it. And again, it's it's a veteran guy you have behind there handling a pitching staff that you lose. It's really, really difficult. They just keep finding a way. Despite all that's happened, they keep finding a way. They were six games in first place when today on Tuesday, the, the, the day started. Yes, the, is the division, is the AL Central what it was? No, but the Sox are still have a good record and they still played very well. You know, they can certainly win the division even with all of these injuries. I, I It's going to hurt because Grindal was really starting to hit. He did not have a good hitting first two months of the year. He was much better in in the month of june and his power numbers have been pretty good all year he's really shown a lot for power his average is bad but you know his his on base his slugging are are really really good and he's done pretty good with that but you lose a veteran presence around there a guy who's been to the playoffs who's been on winning teams you need that right now now you're looking at zach collins who's had you know has had obviously experience this year and then you know sebi's only been up you know here and there so that's going to be a tough loss that's going to be really interesting to see because they've been kind of a patchwork all year long moving guys around. Like if you look at the lineup, it's a little crazy. I mean, if you saw that lineup before the season, people would have gone, would have been, you know, freaking out. And and rightfully so. I mean, up. Yeah. Look, you know, we got Brian Goodwin hitting cleanup one day. I mean, it's just hats you know, off to Tony. Seriously, hats off to yeah, Tony. You know, hats off to, you know, he's kept it there. I, I, I think he's done, you know, we, when we were, I was on here a few months ago, I was very curious to see how Tony, I was mesmerized how Tony would work out. We had the thing in Minnesota with the uh, with Yermin uh, Mercedes Homer. It brewed up. They haven't had any mutinies. They haven't had anything happen. They've been able to f- to get through this stretch here. I think Tony's done a great job with it. I think the White Sox at the same point, however, have a, so much talent and have such talented players that have such a great starting pitching staff, have had a great closer. And despite the fact that they lose all these guys, despite the fact that the middle of their bullpen has been here and there and Kopech has been out because Kopech was such an effective guy in there as well. The fact that the White Sox are still in a very, very good position right now is a credit to everybody. That includes Tony La Russa, to the players, to, to, to Han for building it. I think it's all across the board. And it has been interesting to watch how La Russa 
has worked. And I think it's a narrative that is still building. We saw the conflict of the old school and new school already. They seem to have handled it. They didn't go on a treacherous losing streak. Nobody went, you know, crazy. I mean, I know not nothing, you know, I know your mean is slumped a little bit. He's in the minors now, but he was still giving you good quality at bats. And again, this is his first time really at any major league duty that he's had. It's worked out very well. I think if you're a White Sox fan, you've got to feel really good about where you are right now. You've got to feel awesome about where you are right now, because think about it. This is who you're going to get at the August 1st. It's what you're going to get at the deadline. You're going to get an Eloy Jimenez. You're going to get Luis Robert. You're going to get Yasmani Grandal. Aaron Bummer, they're, they'll, they'll be back at some point along with their, you know, the, the pitchers. You're getting all these guys back. You're, 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 you're going to have deadline acquisitions. You know, I would say certainly Jimenez and Robert are, are, all-star, are all-star potential. Grandal, all-star potential. You're going to get Bummer, who is a great reliever who was struggling all year. Like I said before, if you're a White Sox fan, you really don't have a lot to worry about. What it's going to come down to is your team being able to win those 11, now let me do the math, 11 or 12 games in October. Should they end up being settled with the wild card? I don't think they will. But it's going to be how they're going to play in October. That's where I think the last chapter of this team and then with Tony La Russa as the manager coming out after 10 years, that's where it's going to be written. Cause I think that's where the Sox are right now. They they've had a lot of injuries. Yes. And they're going to maybe have to go get an infielder, you know, with Madrigal out for the rest of the year. Maybe. I think, I think they've done a pretty good job and I still think they're fine. It would, they probably don't need to lose anybody else or lose anybody for the season, but they well, should be good. Every time we say that they lose somebody else and they just keep, they keep trucking. I, I agree with you. If you had told a White Sox fan in spring training, Injuries aside, that Jose Abreu was going to hit 250, Lucas Giolito was going to be a 500 pitcher, and you'd be 17 games over 500 heading into the All Star break. They would say, "How? You know what I mean?" They they would be like, "What? How, how did you do that?" In regards to Yasmani Grandal, such a tough break. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, he was slugging over 600 in June, had 60 walks in 63 games. I know you look at the batting average, people, and you're like, "Well, that's terrible." But the dude was on base all the time, working those counts giving the other hitters chances to see more pitches, you know, opening up the bullpen a little bit earlier. The tough part about it was I read this great article in The Athletic just two days ago about how his power was starting to happen because he was dealing with knee issues, and I think it might have been the right knee. And he had finally gotten to a health point where he was able to unload and kind of begin doing that torque again. And that's where he was getting that power for that follow-through. And clearly whatever happened through that rehab or through the torque in the right knee it just got it just bugged him in the in the left knee. So I'm kind of really curious to see when he comes back what kind of player not health-wise but can he be able to put that type of power into his swing that kind of gave the results that we were starting to see in June. That's a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit further down the road. You started to touch on it a little bit and it's the big question with the White Sox right now. So are you looking at infielder, second baseman, Eduardo Escobar, Adam Frazier, those types of players right now? Do you think that they need to make that move? Because I'm starting – when Eloy went down, I was the guy that said 100% they're going to need to go buy somebody. It's just a matter of when, if, and how much. But this team, though, continues to rattle off victories, continues to get it done. I'm seeing a huge window opening right now for this White Sox team. I don't want them to overpay for anybody. How would you mm-hmm. you know, recommend going about that process in the next couple of weeks? Because they've been talking about Escobar for a while, and no deal has been consummated, probably because the price is too high. 
Yeah, and that's interesting because I know you know you know story came story of the Rockies today. You know now there's a thought that maybe the Sox would try to go after him. Mm. You know maybe they would try to do that and add you know maybe then shift him over to second. I, yeah, that's another thought. I think you can be patient with it. I think the White Sox prospect the spoils of riches could give them an opportunity if they wanted to spend to really put an impact player there they could do it do you part ways with someone you know one of your young pitchers do you do you give away a crochet or a hewer do you go to all you give away an adolfo in the mind you know do you give do you trade vaughn you remember you know vaughn by by trade was a was a first baseman done decent in the outfield he's still hitting do you decide hey you know, Abreu's our first, he's our reigning MVP. Aloy's going to be in left. Robert's going to be in center. I don't know if they have any interest in making him a right fielder as they kind of look maybe down the line at, at doing that. Though, because he's moved so seamlessly to left field, he, he seems like an athlete, maybe not the speed that you want in right field, but do you think that he can perhaps pull that off in the future? It, it's hard to say. I think he's done a great job in left field. I think he, what he's done has been great. But that's a question somebody po- posed, hey, Andrew Vaughn right now, Maybe you can trade him and maybe you can get that impact fielder. You can think about it because the White Sox are, are in that category. Now they can win a World Series. You know, they, the, the World Series, they're in that group of six teams that can win a World Series. Where you look and go, okay, they can win a World Series. They can do that. So you can afford to have those thoughts about a guy like Andrew Vaughn who you think, oh, wow, he's young. He's just coming up here. He's showing versatility. You can think about that because you are, you're not, you are thinking now. How much are you willing to do it? Again, I like the patience part of it. They have really great depth in that system. So they probably could afford to do it. I think if the right person came along, I think they could. Could the White Sox win without making a move there? Sure. I, you know that you could. It would be nice to have somebody at second base. You could do you could do something there. Yeah, and does it, uh, beg, the, does it beg the question a little bit of all these all these injuries, all these things, like is it just maybe not meant to be this year? I know every year in baseball is sacred. I know every year in sports is sacred. But is it possible that it just might not be their year? And I see guys like Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger and all these dudes come up, and I'm just like, holy cow, White Sox fans, the next three or four years are going to be really, really, really fun. And I just don't want to see them overextend for a guy like Eduardo Escobar, who's got 18 home runs right now and is going to the all-star game. But I think it's probably, you're going to have to pay probably 125 cents on the dollar for. Yeah. And that's the thing. And oh, by the way, what a great story for Jake Berger finally coming up after tearing his Achilles twice. I mean, a heat injury. and he, he looked like even... a outsider too. He looks like yeah, a dude. And he's, he, like I said, he's in great shape. He has worked his way back and you've seen finally the reason they drafted him. You know, he had great power and great average when he was down in Charlotte and was able to get you know, earn himself an opportunity not only for the Futures game, so he'll play on Sunday, but he also got the chance to come up with a big league club, uh, you know, and, and contribute as well. There's a lot there. There's a lot of philosophies to it. And, I, you know, Rick Hahn has been, I would consider to be very patient. So I think he could be. I think the right deal, though, could force that. As far as it being meant to be, it could be meant to be for the Sox that all those guys are going to be able to come back in time. And the fact that the division and that they played well enough and the division is holding, maybe, maybe it is their year. I mean, if you think about it, you know, I always thought this kind of would be their year, but all their injuries are going to strike to the point where they're going to basically have these incredible deadline, you know, additions. So if they were to say, all right, an Escobar comes up or a story comes up, I don't know if they ask for somebody decent, I think you've really got to think about it because you might be, 
in a situation where now is the time. I think you have to think about it, especially if we get toward, let's just say you get some of that bullpen back. Let's just say Kopech really solidifies himself. If that, all that stuff comes up, I'd have a hard time not thinking this could be a year you do something. So I, I think that Han has been patient, but I think that this year with the fact that they're going to get so many people back in time to make a run, I think you got to think about it. And I think it could be a bold move. I think it could be a big move. It could happen. And I think your feeling is probably closer to the side of correct than I think the maybe not meant to be because for every single injury, right, you've got Lance Lynn at the top of his game. You've got Carlos Rodon having a career year who's literally pitching himself towards a $100 million contract right now. You have all these depth pieces that keep rising to the surface, making things happen. you got a, you know a healthy Hendricks, which – Fingers crossed stays that way because he is one of the you know one of the best closers right now in the game and you still got guys like Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu leading the charge which are total linchpins and like you said all of a sudden if you wake up September 1 and Aloy is your DH and Luis Roberts back in center field and maybe you got a little Andrew Vaughn and maybe you know Adam Eaton's right right at the ship a little bit and all of a sudden you got this amazing bench I mean, this team could look formidable very, very quickly. Kind of a nerd question for you. In terms of the White Sox, what would probably scare you more in September slash October? The current state of their bullpen in the fifth, sixth, seventh innings or the offense versus right-handed pitching? I would always say bullpen. I think the Sox are going to have a lot of pop in their lineup when everybody does come back. The bullpen's going to be key. I think that you know we've seen, obviously, in, in baseball playoffs now that that's everything. And it's the middle of the bullpen. I think you just want to see be more solid. They have a good group. They've got guys in there who can pitch. They just have had their ups and downs. But you, th- you know, that that's kind of where to me it would be. I think the hitting can come along, but to get that bullpen solidified because you feel pretty good about your starters. You feel pretty good that Giolito is going to find it. You feel great about Hendricks as a closer. Hendricks has done everything you've expected him to do. He's come in there. He's been effective. You've he's done everything you need to do. You get the bullpen settled. I think to me, that's it. Cause I think there's a lot of pop in that lineup and I think it is going, going to get better. And I think it's going to improve. I, that's where I would go personally. That for me, that's where I'm looking. I think I'm looking at that bullpen because I think their starters have the ability to do stuff and really get stuff done. Hendricks is going to be there. He's has some playoff experience. And I, I think it's that man, if you can solidify, cause we were talking about, I know even Sox fans that I know about trades, and the consensus was, the thought was maybe get another bullpen arm, go simple, get another bullpen arm, and just get somebody else in there to just solidify the middle of that bullpen. That eighth really make- has been kind of, you know, eh, a little, yeah. Yeah, and that's a guy you maybe relied on. But again, he could come back and you get those things. That's where it all comes down to me. The hitting, I don't worry about. You know, and again, the question is, can that bullpen, the middle of that bullpen, really solidify itself? And is second base in need? to the point where you may have to trade someone either of caliber now on your roster or of tremendous caliber later to acquire that and do that. Those are the questions for the White Sox heading forward. And they'll be answered. They'll be answered here in a couple of weeks. Again, I've done a complete 180. I would almost stick with Larry Garcia and Danny Mendick at second base and just keep trying to make it work and keep plugging away and hope that some of these other guys come back. And you keep winning games. A couple more for you. You mentioned Giolito. I did definitely want to ask you about that because – Coming into the season, and I think in previous years, he's Giolito's our ace, our ace. Like, but it's been kind of a mercurial season for him. He's around 500 right now. His ERA, I believe, is still sub four, if not maybe it ticked a little bit over in the last start. 
And I just want to get your take on what you've seen from him and what you expect from him in the second half. It's been a weird year. The RPMs have gone down, but not enough where, like, it's a sicky stuff problem. I kind of feel like he's relying too heavily on his changeup. And it just sort of seems like ever since that 114-pitch start, when Tony left him out there for too long, it was a controversy for a couple days. Giolito was not happy about it. It sort of seems like he's been struggling with just general consistency this year. What do you see from Giolito? And that's kind of what I think it is. I think it's consistency. And these years can go back and forth. You know, we, well, I remember we saw, you know, John Lester have a couple of those years where he was a little bit here and there. I, you know, I think Giolito is a guy who's still, I think he's just kind of figuring out some of the mechanics stuff, getting things back online. I think he's got tremendous potential. I think that he's still going to be there come July, excuse me, come well later July, August, September, and then October. I think that he's still going to be one of those guys at the top of the staff. I think Lynn's your one now. I think you certainly look at that and go, he's there. You know, probably if the playoffs started today, he's game one. You know, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Lance has really established himself. And that's really ended up quite a move, you know, because it was a Dane Dunning trade, you know, that people weren't looking at. And Dunning had some, you know, a lot of optimism around him in the organization. The, the, the White Sox made a real, real bold move to go ahead and go get Lance as a veteran then in that <clears throat> starting rotation. But I think Lucas is going to be fine. I think it's just general inconsistencies. The one, the one fourteen pitch performance rocked a little bit. I expect him to come back. Maybe that's faith from having seen what he's done in nineteen and twenty, and seen him struggle, you know, in eighteen, and be able to rally back from that. There's some faith built there, and I think as time goes along, he'll fig- he'll figure stuff out. I'm rooting for him. He talks a lot about his mental rhythm and just kind of like his mental state when he's on the mound, and you kind of see him move, and he's a little animated with his shoulders on the mound, so. I'm sure he's probably trying to work through some stuff. In regards to Lance Lynn, man, $8 million well spent. Dane Dunning who? I'm I'm super into it, and I hope that he's their number one target when they go into the offseason, you know, work out a three-year deal, three years, $60 million or something. I think Lance Lynn is totally worth it. Last one for Larry Hawley. What do you think is more likely? Trevor Story on the White Sox or the Cubs getting back into contention before the end of the month? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, probably story just because the White Sox would have. I mean, I would say story because the Sox are in the market for an infielder and in a lead. Could the could the Cubs make a rally? I, I really thought this week could be it. You know, you you, you get Philadelphia in here, and then, you know, you, six you know, and then the Diamondbacks. A lot of games against the Cardinals. I mean, these yeah, are- Cardinals coming up. I thought maybe there would be the, the last two games have kind of shaken that confidence a little bit maybe they still can again you're eight and a half behind so you've probably got to win you know 18 to 21 right then you got to to lose some game you've really got to get some help here and the brewers have really been on fire so i don't know 20 games 20 games before the break or i'm sorry 20 games before the deadline starting today so what i mean what they have to go like what 14 and 6 15 and 5 at least at least 17 and three. I mean, that's where you're going to have to really, you're going to have to really make up games to the point where, you know, you can make up six to seven games in that, in that time period. It could happen. Maybe they decide there is always that decision. They could say, you know what? These are our guys. We have, we have built a lot of them up. We're going to ride this thing out and we're going to see what happens. Maybe there's this incredible cheer turn by, by Ricketts and he goes ahead and uh, decides to sign all of them and, but I don't know. I don't know. You don't want to lose faith. But right now, again, Arietta's struggling. You need a starter out there. People are wondering if maybe he would be designated for assignment. Maybe he'd be put on the IL. You need starters right now. You're not going down. You're, they're not a lot of them around. 
So you're in a, a particular spot here where I don't know if they would do that. You want to try to have faith because you've seen Davies pitch better and Hendricks has, has found some of this form. You know, do you trust in Alec Mills? Can Mills be that guy that comes through? Alzali has shown great potential. He's pitched, you know, he's yeah, he's has moments. He's he's he could be your guy who he's a number two or three starter sooner than you think. You know, is there starting depth there? You know, can the bullpen keep Kim Kimbrough will? But can the middle of that bullpen keep it up? Can the, the Taperas and the, the Chafins? Or do you try to trade a Chafin? You know, do you try to trade him along with Kimbrel? All options are out there. It's just, it, it will be, I don't really know. If you ask my question for either one, right now the Cubs are not showing you signs that they can just go run off 17 and three. The only thing that gives you a sign is their schedule yeah. right now. And, and the only reason is because I don't know where that's starting pitching is going to come from outside of Hendricks outside of Davies. And then again, that's Davies right now. He struggled at, at a bit at the beginning, you know, can you rely on an Alzali to really pick up the rest of the slack? Do you believe Arietta has another gear in him that he's going to find and he's going to turn it around and can Mills be an effective starter or is somebody else going to come up and do that? That's the question you have. Again, all questions you ask yourself that could lead, to the decision for the Cubs to go ahead if there is a deal out there for a Brian Tobias or a Rizzo for them to pull that trigger whereas maybe a month ago they would have been hesitant I think his name is Keegan Thompson I like Keegan Thompson a lot he's got a nice pitch mix I, he's got a nice build for a starter he's 25 years old just show me 100 innings and and let's walk into the offseason and let's just know what it is Alzali I think we got a pretty decent idea that you can probably pencil his name, maybe not Sharpie, but pencil his name into the rotation for next season. Justin Steele, I heard they're stretching out right now. I think they need to do the same with Keegan Thompson. In regards to like Chafin and that, you know, maybe the Cubs can get creative. You know, Chafin plus Bryant goes to said team, and maybe that kind of juices up the prospect a little bit. And and Jed, now that myth of Scott Feldman into Jake Arrieta, as you mentioned, Ryan Dempster into Kyle Hendricks, Jeff Samarja turns into Addison Russell. Those myths are out there and they've built their reputation on it. They're going to have to do that one more time. And again, it's sad to see because like a Chafin, what a wonderful acquisition he's been. And, you know, he could have, he could have been the all-star running in consideration for Kimbrell. You finally get everything you wanted out of that deal. You just get it late. Same with Darvish. It's just everything kind of arrived a little bit late. It's a shame. It's tough. It's tough. You know, part of my, a part of the heart of, of any fan wanted them to come out here, have Hendricks pitch like the Cy Young finalist Hendricks, have Davies be a strong pitcher, be a guy who he can be on that high end. You wanted Arietta to be 17 Arietta. Was he, was he as dominant as 15? No, but 17 Arietta was pretty good. And then you wanted to see if an Alzali or a Mills would be able to find, you wanted to know if Trevor Williams could be what he was a couple of years ago in Pittsburgh a solid starter with a decent ERA that could get the job done. And the, I would say for the rotation, the best case scenarios, un unfortunately, have not quite worked out, even though you've had some wonderful stories in your bullpen. Larry Hawley from WGN Radio. My friend, thank you so much. Also, congratulations to you. This summer I've been seeing you've been doing some great live hits. Now the fans and stuff are going back to the ballpark. Absolutely love your content right there. Um, before you go, if you want to maybe give like a quick teaser of what maybe the beer 
balcony uh, brew review is going to be this week a little bit, or also and also let people know uh, the socials and different ways that they can check out all your work for the listeners. Don't know the beer yet, but we're still in the summer beers, and I will be for about eight weeks. I always take Fourth of July off, so I'll do that this week. Um, I actually featured Skeleton Key Brewing got hit by the tornadoes in Woodridge, which is near uh, the Chicago area. So they got hit; their roof got hit. So I featured one of their beers last week. Uh, you can check that out. I put that on my Instagram. It's L Holly eighty L H A W L E Y eighty. That's Instagram. Twitter is Holly Sports H A W L E Y Sports, all one word. And on Facebook, it's Larry Holly. It's just there and it's there. Uh, works at WGNTV.com/sports or. I work for our digital newscast, WGN News Now, which you can also find at WGNTV.com as well. You're doing great work, uh, great consistent content too as well. So for people out there that want to check out his work, he's bringing you stuff all week long, keeping the finger on the pulse for both t- uh, teams in town. And football's right around the corner too, so who knows what's coming next. Larry, thank you so much for being on the pod, man. Great to see you, my friend. Hope we can do it again soon. Same here, man. Great. Thanks for having me. always appreciate it. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you go on your mobile device and sign up because it's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's kind of nice. And today's episode is also brought to you by Moinkbox. If you like free bacon for a year, I suggest you check out Moinkbox, my friend. And make sure you do B-L-E-A-V in the promo code to get that free bacon for a year. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got more stuff coming the rest of this week and next week. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.